You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, the Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark, and with me today are Amy and Calvin. Hey, guys, good morning. Good morning, my friend. Good morning and afternoon. <laughs> That's true. How are we doing? Well, I get an extra day off as Monday is President's Day here in the United States. So I'm enjoying my long weekend, doing lots of podcasting. Strange, strange new worlds. Uh, Picard came out, so went to a watch party Friday night and did lots of podcasting yesterday on it. So it's been good. How about you? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a long weekend. I'm uh, straight into work tomorrow morning. But I have just realized a strange coincidence. I'm drinking out of a Barack Obama mug. So uh, <laughs> I guess I'm celebrating President's Day uh, on your behalf oh, as well. Awesome. Um, yes. But yeah, I also went to a watch party on Friday here in Manchester with some of the, the local Trekkies. And it was really funny because I we all kind of agreed, all four of us, that we would only watch the episode together. And I know that all four of us watched it on Thursday, but pretended that we had to. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and it was so awkward when individually we all reacted to certain things like, oh, yeah, that was great. Oh, uh, oh, what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, hilarious that you kept the ruse up. Yeah. <laughs> How did you watch it on Thursday? Very, very classified information okay that. okay that that's the section 31 thing <laughs> section gotcha. 31 it, it, absolutely it was black on badge uh related. <laughs> well listeners uh we're gonna introduce a new segment this week that we're gonna do for the next well next 10 weeks right this is gonna be called escape pod and we may or may not have a fun sound effect for that this is the bridge all hands to emergency escape pods And each week we are going to talk about briefly uh, each episode of Picard as it drops before we get into our weekly discussion. So we're probably going to do that anyway, but we decided to make it a segment uh, so it is official. <laughs> we'll be talking about Picard a little bit at the start of each episode. So uh, reactions to episode one? I will uh, ask you listeners to go there for my thoughts. Kelvin, what about you? Why'd you start? I, I, well, first of all, I, I've just got to say how much, how impressed I was. Delighted is not too strong a word. I was in tears. You could just tell it had been done with love. Mm. Um, and it very much strikes me it's that we're in the same scenario now that we was at the end of Enterprise, where, you know, you had all the haters, and then you get the final season with an executive producer who loved the original series, and all of a sudden it got great and then finished. And now here we are with Picard, the final season. It's giving us what we wanted from Picard from the day we heard it was happening. And then it's the end. Or is it? Who knows? But that's kind of the way I feel now. It's not, I'm not racing towards next week so I can see episode two. I almost feel like I'm on a countdown of episodes, rationing them, mm. going, oh, there's only nine left. Oh, there's only eight left. So I kind of don't want it to end. I love it that much. Yeah. What were your thoughts, Mark? I 
text the group, and I know I text Amy, um, God, halfway through the episode. I was, I was going to wait until I got home from work, but then I was like, I can't possibly. So I, on my lunch break, I was like, I, I'll watch it on my iPad. And I got midway through it, and I was just like near tears of just joy. And I just had to, I had to reach out to, you know, to my Trek peoples and just let you guys know my feelings. It was just a lot. It was a whole lot. And then it got to the end, and I was like, what the heck? No, I want more. <laughs> so I, I, it looks as though, and Amy, I think you had mentioned that when it was shown in the theaters, they did uh, episodes one and two back to back. Is that correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Uh, listeners, I think most of you at this point have seen it. And if not, what are you doing? You have to watch it. Episode one sort of ends in the middle of what would be a movie, essentially. Like it builds like a movie. The whole thing feels like a movie. And at the end of episode one, you're like, oh, wait, we're at the midway point in the movie. So this is like an intermission, I guess. We go get popcorn, uh, go back to work <laughs> for seven days, and then there's a new episode. Yeah, it was it was nice and long. It was like 52, 53 minutes mm. or something. So it was a really, you know, where I know the streaming services now, they don't have the 45-minute restriction like we're used to, but it always feels like such a treat when you get an episode that's a little longer than 45 minutes. It's like, oh, excellent. It's like deleted scenes have been put back in to make it longer. But, yeah, beautiful, every single aspect. Even even Captain Shaw, who is obviously someone you meant to hate, he's already, after one episode, got that kind of Kai Win love-to-hate-him quality because he's such mm-hmm. a magnificent actor. And he's been all over social media this weekend, uh, Todd Sashwick, doing lots of Instagram lives and all on Twitter. And so he's he clearly wants to to give a lot back to the franchise and talk with fans and stuff. So yeah, I think we'll be seeing a lot of him at conventions coming up. Yeah. I, I commented on Twitter about his character and I wanted to come about it from the right way. Like, trust me, uh, listeners, I really have a deep hatred for his character. However, it takes a lot of good acting ability to really uh, bring a character like that to life with nuance and gravitas. And I feel like he did that. They got the perfect actor for it. I mean, he only had, he didn't have a lot of screen time in this episode. He had a very little bit of screen time. And in the little bit of screen time he had, he made his character so hateable. You know, I just, <laughs> I'm like, wow. Uh, nicely, nicely done. Um, because I, I can say, you know, we had what two episodes of uh, TNG or three episodes of TNG with Jellico. Two, yeah, and what, two, and then obviously a couple of Prodigy as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in his couple of episodes he had, we grew to really not like Jellico. Most of us, uh, as a captain, but uh, this guy only got a couple of scenes, and we were already like, this guy's so much worse. Jellico looks like you know uh, he's warm and fuzzy and would give out hugs uh compared to this guy (laughs) so so i'm like nicely nicely done uh making the character uh really come to life because every good uh hero needs a good villain and uh, i don't not saying he's the villain of the the season but if anybody on the show so far is uh has been taken over by those bug aliens i think it's that guy (laughs) i think an advantage of week by week episode releasing rather than binging is that you you get this opportunity to 
theorize and speculate and <laughs> talk to your friends. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting what they're going to do with him. And if, if it's not too bold to speculate, mm. I think the ship that's in the end credits, that's got the star date of Wolf 359 associated with it. I think he was on that ship. So that's kind of doing like what they did with Cisco in Emissary, where he hates Borg, he hates Locutus, he hates Seven of Nine. Mm. So he's dead naming Chev- Seven as Annika Hansen and <sighs> all of that. That's my that theory for him. Yeah. That hurts. And why is she putting I, up with yeah. it? Oh. Exactly. And also as well, it is a bit of a plot hole because if that was the case, why would he have chosen her as first officer? Because the captain does get to choose unless he wanted to torment her, which is even worse. Mm. <laughs> right. Hey, so I have a question for you. When Rafi was looking at her granddaughter and because we know last season she went to her son and she had been cleaned up and everything was good. I mean, they still didn't patch things, but she was making an effort. So we see her, you know, watching her grandchild. Do you think she uh, has a better relationship and that her son was sending the video? Or do we think that she's used her access as spy to access that video what are your what do you think on that mark i think she's patched things up i think so things are right as rain with her kid and uh and he's sending her the videos because you know even in this episode they make you at the beginning believe that she is like regressed and then you find out oh wait no midway through the episode it's like oh no this is all just an act and she's not doing the drugs. She buys the drugs, holds the drugs, thinks about the drugs, but she's like, nope, I'm not doing drugs anymore, and drops it. So it's all a ruse uh, just so she can get the information she needs. So I think that I think that she's on the up and up. Yeah. I'm going the other way. Oh. I, I think Rafi is so uh, resourceful and inappropriate that she has probably got some kind of drone... A camera looking at the house just so she can get a glimpse of her when she runs out into the back garden. I think that is very true to character to Rafi. And, you know, to kind of quote Christos without him being here, you know, he said, do you think Rafi went up to Gabe and said, well, I was right all along, along about the Romulans? You know, that's not the way to, to mend a relationship. And I just don't right. see that relationship have mended because A, Rafi was right all along and B, because she's got back to Starfleet and cleaned up. I think the damage is done and I think she's admiring from afar. Well, I think Mm. wouldn't the Federation Nude Service have like promoted the fact that this woman was instrumental in, you know, uncovering the plot and blah, blah, blah. And she would have been all over the news of just like, here's this person that's a hero. Section 31 probably would have prevented uh, Starfleet intelligence officers being plastered all over the news. (laughs) I know, but she wasn't in Section 31 then, and we don't know if she is now. I'm guessing she is, but... No, she's not in Section 31. She's in standard Starfleet intelligence. That's kind of like the public-facing Starfleet intelligence, and Section 31 is like the ultra (laughs) behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is for... uh... Worf's end, do you think that this sort of lines up with his career path uh, during DS9? What are your feelings on that? His job title was an oxymoron. So his job title was Strategic Operations Officer, which in the world of business, you're either strategic or you're operational. There's no such thing as strategic operational. It it contradicts itself. 
So it's a matter antimatter collision of a job title, um, <laughs> which was quite quite fitting for Worf. He just kind of stood there and said something random to in season four. They didn't really know what to do with him, did they? Oh. Um, but I definitely think Worf is Rafi's handler um, oh, yeah. because of all the you know. He said warrior, and someone said that the translation looks like it came from Klingon. And and we know he's in loads of scenes with Michelle Hurd anyway, so it just makes sense. Yeah, agreed. Not, I mean, we could spend all of this episode talking about episode one, but Amy, you've done this about three times now, haven't you, Amy? Yeah. So, well, Amy, uh, would you like to introduce what we're actually going to be talking about today? Well, today, listeners, we are continuing our medical ethics Part seven, that's right, seven listeners. Love it. What have we covered previously? Before I tell you what we are covering this week, we have done Enterprise, Dear Doctor, Voyager, Critical Care, DS9 Life Support, TOS, Dagger of the Mind, Voyager, Nothing Human, TNG, Symbiosis. So this is a series that asks the big questions that often don't have a right answer. And today, we are going to be covering Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, Episode 6. So, uh, there is actually a lot of medical ethics in this episode. At the start of the episode, we're sort of reintroduced to the fact that Mbanga is keeping his daughter in the pattern buffer, which I guess creates its own sort of problems. To me... I mean, that's 100% what I would do if I had the ability to. Uh, I would um, put my... If, if if Murphy had an issue, I would beam him into the patent buffer and keep him there until I figured out how to uh, prolong his life perpetually forever. Uh, so I get that. <laughs> really? Can we just stop and talk about yeah. that? What kind of life experience is his daughter having? Is that fair to her? Is she having a quality of life if she is only in existence for one hour a day? It's a terrible quality of life. She has to listen to that awful story being told again and again. Oh, no. I love the Elysian Kingdom. <laughs> um, well, I mean, some would argue, Amy, that she's alive. And if this intervention wasn't taking place, she wouldn't be. So is any life a better quality of life than none? So I suppose it kind of brings the ethics of, you know, uh, when people are in the late stage of a terminal illness and they don't want palliative care and they'd just rather go out on a high rather than having that slow decline through medication, that stops you doing everything you'd want to do anyway. So I, there's, there's that argument coming at it. But yeah, the, the, the quality of life is you're a secret and you just appear on the bio bed for five minutes a day, if that's what it is. And yeah, it, it's not any life, really. It's just a very brief existence. Because he won't let her out. So it's like she's in prison. She is confined to this one room and no one knows her existence. I argue that is not a good quality of life. Well, no, but he's trying to give her a very long life. He's trying to find the cure so that she can live out her days outside of the, you know, stasis for many, many, many years. But to get to that point, he just needs a little bit more time. And that's why he keeps throwing yeah. her in the buffer. So 
my issue where well i have a few issues with this kind of storyline throughout the season um it's children why the pattern buffer you know we've we've just seen this week on picard you know beverly crusher was injured so they stuck her into stasis uh in the life support pod uh, to keep her going i can't recall if it was mentioned in the script of why the transporter buffer was a safe environment as opposed to traditional stasis and um, do you remember any detail there amy I really thought that it was said because she had to go back into the pattern buffer because her body wouldn't decay. Like it removes the physicality of it. And I think even in like a a frozen freeze, yeah, yeah, frozen state, your body still is there and can decay at the smallest of levels. Fair enough. That, That kind of answers it for me and allows me to reconcile it because... It just seems very risky. You know, yes, we've seen it done before successfully in Relics, uh, but it was only, as Scotty said himself, 50% successful because his mate Franklin is pattern degraded. Rest in peace, Franklin. Rest in peace, Franklin. Uh, He got a J.J. Abrams starship named after him. Um, (laughs) So it always just seems really risky and then there's you've obviously got the issue of combat with the ship and systems going offline so if the transporter is damaged you could lose the pattern anyway Mm. um but again my my biggest thing why was this such a secret i don't know what the Mm. relationship's like with mbenga and captain pike but i can't imagine captain pike saying no you're not allowed to do that it just it seemed weird that it was such a big secret from the rest of the senior crew. Plausible deniability. Yeah, maybe that. And wasn't it said sometime that he, because no one knew of his daughter, because he was working on that before he came to the ship, and I think he was just transferred her there without anyone knowing because he didn't, yeah, trust that Pike would agree. So... He had started that before joining Enterprise? Or am I making that up? Yeah, I don't know if it was established when he joined. Wasn't he working with, uh, like, the Vulcan Science Academy or something? Or he was studying with Vulcans? Like, he knew a lot about Vulcan uh, physiology. He was an expert in it. This is quite strange for me in general, this can, this episode review and recap of the subject, because I think I've seen this episode three, maybe four times. And I must admit, this is my least favorite episode of season one. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Oh, yes. <laughs> because as somebody that loves Strange New Worlds, front to back, top to bottom, I do find this to be my least favorite as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do. I love oh, really? Strange New Worlds, everything about it. And to paint a little point... I actually fell asleep during this episode (laughs) when I was first watching it, which I don't recall ever, ever happening to me with Star Trek. I actually fell asleep. So my my way of reconciling it is that both the A plot and the B plot deals with treatment to children. Mm. And it, it just doesn't pull on the heartstrings for the same way as other kind of themes do for me. Um, so yeah, I wasn't very emotionally invested. I liked the very traditional original series kind of feel to this episode mm-hmm. with you know Pike getting the girl and then the twist at the end and trying to impose 
human moral values onto an alien culture. Uh, I felt that was very Kirk original series. Yeah. Uh, but, so I appreciated that for Strange New Worlds and the story, but just the, the subject matter of it, I didn't really care for it originally. <laughs> so back to your point of, yeah, why didn't Mbega ask for help? Why didn't he go to Pike? Like, hmm. he definitely asked the aliens what are we calling them do we do they have a name um majalus was the planet so should we call them majalans okay yeah so he definitely asked help um and you know the father slash doctor gave him the theory and you know sort of the starting point um but yeah why wouldn't he go to starfleet is it illegal is it wrong to store people in pattern buffers is there something like that within starfleet i would imagine it would be frowned down upon simply for i mean what we were saying earlier with like anything going on with the ship the pattern would be lost and then they'd be killed and then starfleet would be quote unquote liable not that they're getting sued, but they mm-hmm. could get sued, I guess. They're lawyers. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I guess that's probably why. But then when Una, when Una found out about it in, like, what, episode three, was it? And she was fine. And then later on in the season, she, you know, diverted some extra power and she was very helpful. So there's a flavor for him of the second officer. Mm. Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. First officer of the ship supporting this. Why wouldn't Captain Pike, why wouldn't you then disclose it to the rest of the senior crew rather than then have to expect Una to keep it secret as well? well she's got her own little, you know, she's got enough problems. So I think that's why, because I think Mbanga kind of knows where she's at. Wink, wink, nod, nod, and keeping her secret. And so she's like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to keep yours. So they have that sort of bond of thieves. You know, where they're both sort of in the wrong, but uh, neither one's going to tattle on the other. Something struck me with this episode when he was asking the father, was it uh, Gamal, was his name, Elder Gamal, Mm -hmm. um, for the technology. And they were like, we can't share it with outsiders. And it very much reminded me of Voyager of Prime Factors in season one, uh, where they stole the Trajector device and it was that, I, I think it was Tom Paris who said it in the episode, this is the first time we've seen it from the booties on the other foot. We see it from, actually, no, it was mm. Janeway, I beg your pardon. Uh, we've seen it from the other side of, we've got all this great technology and people wanting it, but this is the first time we've seen technology and other people won't share it with us, so the prime directive, basically. And so, yeah, it really took me out at the moment and reminded me of, of prime factors, which which I did enjoy. So to that point of this society having amazing technology, like I put some of the things like they can heal at the subatomic Mm. level and, you know, there's so much medical advancements that is superior to Starfleet. And then their ships, like the Enterprise receives fire and they're like, oh, our shields were 0.02%. Like, come on. Or am I missing something? The ships that fired on them, are they the same society? Aren't they supposed to have this technology? And why are their ships and photons so weak, well, Mark? Well, the, the way I looked at that is they are very closed off and sheltered as a society. Like, 
their people stay on the planet. They're not out really exploring the galaxy. They, yes, they have work technology and they work capable, but I think that's just to go to like nearby moons and whatnot at sublight speeds kind of thing. You know, or if they need supplies, maybe sending some people out. But for the most part, I feel like everybody stays on the planet. So they would have less of a need to develop this okay. technology to fight space battles because that's not what they're about. I suppose we've seen a few times where species seem to be quite advanced in one way and not in another. Like they devote their resources to a certain path. I really thought, Mark, you were going to quote a niche from Insurrection then of work and warp drive takers, but away from here. So similarly is there, you know, the the bacteria had warp travel, they could have had all these ships, but they chose a different way of life. But also as well, if you think of Conundrum in TNG, you have the Lycians with their ability to affect memory and really sophisticated technology, but the Starbase could be destroyed with one photon torpedo. So mm-hmm. it's been done before. Okay. Um, but I think the ship that was firing on them, wasn't that the ship from the colony who was trying to kidnap yes. the um, first servant? And they established that they live in really terrible conditions and don't have resources. And then when it was established, they're the same race that's when they said, why would you leave paradise and go and live on the other colony when really it was a, a, a protest as to what they're doing? So, yes, I think they were the, the colony people who were firing from the, the okay. rubbish ships. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. It's a good job I did that third watch. <laughs> well, so let's move on, I guess, to... We've already been talking about a little bit, but the first servant. We're sort of introduced to him as being... I guess, the sacrificial lamb, but we figure that out pretty late in the episode. So at the beginning, you don't really know why this kid's getting all this responsibility. I'm very curious as to why they would give this, spend the time giving this kid this huge education if they're just going to hook him up to a robot to suck out his life energy anyway. But isn't that sort of the raw material that intelligence that's expanding your brain that the device okay. needs to function properly that's, that's sort of how i yeah, took me it too amy it was almost like um to not quote another biblical reference <laughs> uh, but almost like feeding the fatted calf you know you want him to mm. grow his mind grow his brain so mm. there's a lot more kind of synapses to suck out okay so when choosing the first servant do you think that that's one purpose of the schools is to find the brightest kid and then by age eight or whatever that, okay, you're the brightest, you've got the most potential, we're going to put you in special schools like they did for you know, monarchs mm, and yeah. stuff like that. You have special training um, so that you are the best first servant. Think, Do you think that's... Yeah, I, I, and again, it's, it's kind of like the trill. So if you think of like uh, the hosts go through the symbiosis commission and all of the training and all of the smartest of trills are selected to become hosts to a symbiont. And clearly, obviously, it doesn't result in your death, but it is quite a, the the merging of a host and symbiont does create a brand new individual altogether. So it's almost like, in a way, the death of the host as themselves as they were. So it's, I, I saw a lot of, continuity and similarity between that of selecting 
the brightest and the, the most special. Uh, but again, like they say in the episode, they don't hide behind any of these things. And they do say this is what's, you know, this is the honour. This is what's going to happen if you're selected. Uh, I don't maybe think they go into the gory details, but I think the children and the, the, that species themselves know it's a sacrificial role. And how do we feel about that? Um, can I, before I answer that question, just ask, what happened? So that when I was watching the episode, I couldn't establish how having that kid hooked up to the computer or whatever, what positive effects did it give the society or the planet? Did it control the weather? You know, did they have lovely weather? Um, what tangibility did it produce? Not to say that any tangibility does, you know, the ends do not justify the means, but I'd still like to know. Well, you see all of the, when you first go to the planet in the, the shuttlecraft, you see all of those, I guess, uh, cables that are glowing coming up from the surface and they're connected to all of the floating pieces of Earth, essentially. And they're reminiscent of, at the end of the episode, all of those cables that are going straight into the skull of the, of the child. So I get the impression that his brain power is being used to keep those pieces of land floating up above the acid lakes and all that. Right. Okay. Well, that, that's as, as great an explanation as, as I need then. I'd like you to answer Amy's question, Mark, because I'm very concerned that I might come out with something very, very inappropriate and just say, well, it's the needs of the many over uh, better than the needs of the one. And clearly any listeners with children will just come for me. But I, I can see I can see the moral dilemma. Yeah. Uh, I think the dilemma is that it's a child and, you know, a child cannot make these decisions and they should be protected. If it was an elected adult who had made the decision to sacrifice themselves for the needs of the planet, I'd be totally fine with that. I, don't I think know. it's the child factor that makes it inappropriate. I, I'm glad they're not a Federation world, that's all I'm saying. Because... It won't be for long. <laughs> yeah, no, this is... I mean, it's awful. I wouldn't even do it with, like, an adult or a senior citizen. It just seems like it's just wrong to do. Why don't they just... I mean... They literally have warp technology. Just go find another effing planet. You can find a better planet than one filled with acid. I don't know. <laughs> I get historical significance. This is our culture, blah, 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 blah. But you've already stated in the episode that they've spent thousands of years trying to research a new way to do it without using the kid. Well, if you haven't figured out after a few thousand years of trying and you have warp technology, I don't know, get in your shuttles and just zoom off to another planet that you don't have to sacrifice a, a being to keep some pieces of, you know, some buildings afloat in the sky. Like, makes no sense. I thought it, the whole thing was stupid. Yeah, and also, again, my memory, terrible on this episode. Have they established how long this has been going on for? Because I know I've, I've said the religion card already in this episode, but if you think of some you know, practices um, from religion going back thousands of years, you could look to our own society and say, well, why do we do that? You know, some of the treatments of women in some cultures and children and just the discriminatory attitudes that religion brings. 
you know, we could use this episode as a lens for our own society, which obviously Star Trek is famous for doing. So I think it might be quite wrong to not look a little deeper and say this is if this has been happening for thousands of years on this planet, it's just normal to them. And maybe they need someone external to come in and say, yeah, don't be doing this. This isn't this isn't what Federation worlds would do. So I know you're not one, but you'd never get into the Federation if you didn't stop doing this. Yeah. The fact that they were invited in general just seems weird to me. The culture behind the first servant, you can see thousands of years of building this up. Everyone knows about the first servant. And it's been this is an honor. This is my choice when there's no choice about it anymore. Um, and you're right. The, even if it were an adult wanting to make the choice, that would be different of, yes, I volunteer. But even if the kid could say, I volunteer, that's all been brainwashed because of this thousand years of culture that has been ingrained. So is there even a choice? I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely, it's absolute brainwashing. It's, you know, you're brought yeah. up in a culture that promotes something, that celebrates something, that says it's an honor, you're special for doing this, can be used to justify a lot of wrongs. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. thinking of this mummy that they found within the last like 10 years of this girl. It's like the oldest uh, preserved mummy that they found up in the, I think it was the Himalayas, where it was part of the culture of that particular tribe to offer up a child to sacrifice to the gods. And so they would walk them up to the mountain and leave them there, essentially with very little clothing and no food, and um, and they would they would die there. And mm -hmm. so they found this mummy of this young girl. She was probably 12 or 15 or something completely preserved and mummified by the elements it reminds me of that mm. it's like the from the earliest time in, in human history there's been cultures that have that have sacrificed like a kid to whatever higher power is up there which is completely effed up and that's what makes the kind of difference with this episode because it's not like pike and co and crew have come across this race that is pre-warp capable mm. and you know in an earlier state of evolution they are a civilized you know space-furring member of the community but they still carry out this practice um so i, I guess that makes it a bit different than us looking at our own history from hundreds if not thousands of years ago of the you know sacrificial person to bring on nice weather or something <laughs> yeah which really is kind of what they're doing <laughs> Yeah. Oh, really? Yep. Absolutely. You would hope that once they got warp drive, they'd be a little bit more enlightened. You would think that they would find a new place to go, like where living is possible without sacrificing your greatest commodity, your children. But they have a very beautiful planet with no illness, no disease, no poverty. It's hard to leave paradise. And again, using the Baku as the example, mm. we've, we've got this fantastic planet. If, if we go and terraform another planet or colonize somewhere, we've got to start from scratch and it's going to be hard work. Sometimes when you are 
comfortable, it's very easy to turn a blind eye. You know, it's that same story that we see again and again, like you say, in uh, Insurrection or think of Masterpiece Society. You have like minds coming together. All right, let's go build the society. We can build it and be architects exactly what we want, the best of society. But then your population grows you get further and further away, the original architects die, and then you got people, why are we here? Da, da, you know? And that's just sort of the evolution of where we are. And so I understand that the idea is great that we're gonna start and build our best, but it can't last. I mean, that is the thing that is eternal, change. It cannot last. So you have to be adaptive. What it's was that? artificial. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Can I ask, before we move off the first servant, what did you think of the child himself? Obviously, the actor who played him was really good. You know, he acted as just mm. as well, if not better, than some of the adults. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I just find him, what a little know-it-all. I, I even, it's almost like what we were just saying about Captain Shaw. <laughs> he, he acted it so well. I found him like a little entitled brat what did anyone else see did you're all gonna turn around and i would say he was cute and i'm wrong <laughs> no no i actually put that in my regeneration where it's like okay we've he's putting his nose up at starfleet medical technology oh well that's a pretty basic scanner like he literally is so condescending but he's a kid. Does he really know how to be social? Well, I guess he should if he's been in all these training classes. I don't know. But yeah, I felt that it, he he and the doctor were very condescending about our technology. But the actor, the boy, oh, I loved him. And when he was like uh, making that hopscotch for Mbega's daughter... Oh, well, they're just noble gases and they're not, you know, harmful in any way. And he's like, he's trying to excuse himself. And it's like, dude, it's okay. It's fun. You're having fun. Yeah. He's going to have a great career, that actor. And oh, just cute <laughs> as a button. Yeah, cute. Well, should we move on to Pike? Oh, yes, please. Always. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's jump on to Pike now. She did. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, the reason I included him uh, as being something for medical ethics, this is more less medical ethics and more of just ethics. I just want to talk a little bit about how Pike is kind of interfering with the development of a species that's not even in the Federation. And so that in itself is, he really shouldn't be doing as a representative of Starfleet, even if he is in the right, in my opinion, like trying to save the kid, like I get that, but you know, I, I don't think Starfleet would have liked that. Yeah, so yeah, the Prime Directive doesn't apply because they're warp capable, but um, Pike says it in this episode and he said it a couple of other times in season one as well, and it's one of the things about him I love. He says something like, Starfleet uh, orders plus my own conscience won't allow this to happen. Mm. So he, he he justifies a lot of his decisions based on his own moral compass rather than just following the rules. 
which is, oh, it just makes me fall in love with him even more. So all of this is his conscience, you know, you don't do this to children. And he's horror that someone who he's got, if not love, a lot of lust for, has kind of kept this from him. And he's now horrified by what she's done and what the planet stands for and his complicity in it all by handing the kid back over. So I I don't have an issue with Pike's response to all of this. I probably would have had more of an issue if you had a Janeway-type stickler for the rules come in, or a certainly early season Janeway, and being like, well, we mustn't interfere. I think that would have been worse. What kind of humanic leader would what how would the audience feel about a captain who did nothing in the situation just to follow the rules they we wouldn't we wouldn't like that would we oh captain shaw hello we're talking about captain shaw a couple times this week (laughs) well wait a minute now picard did nothing in symbiosis and that was the right call so you could say if i think he if pike had faith that the what are we calling them, the Magellans or whatever, would make the right choice in the future. But I think when he hears the woman, what's her name? Alora. When he hears Alora say, we've tried for thousands of years to find an alternative and it doesn't work, I think then he's like, they are not going to change on their own. There's no way. Um, And that, I think, is then what he gets so infuriated with like the, yeah, I'm willing to step in, but yeah, I guess the prime directive doesn't really apply here. And I think with his relationship to Alara, like he even says he's allowed to have friends. Right. Um, so I think he's like, well, I can, you know, visit you and sort of, you know, take off the com badge and just be a friend instead of mm. combining the yeah. two. Yeah, so that I'm guessing is why we're you know we're, we're we're moving away from almost the medical ethics here and the you know the abuse of children into more kind of business ethics or leadership ethics, shall we say? So, you know, what do we think about Pike beaming down and getting jiggy jiggy with you know the the woman of the week? I found. <laughs> As delighted I was to see uh, Pike with his top off in bed, I just kept thinking, what the crew thinking that he's doing? You know, because as captain, mm-hmm. people know where you are all times. You know, when you're on duty, off duty, don't message me. You know, so for him to be, I'm staying overnight on the planet, I can mm-hmm. just imagine like Pike and Una, uh, Spock and Una raising an eyebrow at each other. I would have almost loved to have seen that scene written in. I think it would have been a great comedy beat. But that kind of uh, aspect of a leader, every moment of your day is is documented and accounted for, and you get very little time to yourself. And that's the sacrifice you make. So, yeah, I don't think it's quite realistic. <laughs> I do want to mention Pike, who we all love seeing with his shirt off. He's gorgeous. But... Um... <laughs> His choice in women I is to be, I don't know, I desired. I he first in the first episode he's hooking up with this woman that she's uh, barely on the likable factor here, and then we got this 
girl who's again like a little like eh, I don't know, and they both end up, you know, towards you know the end of the series, you find out both of them are villains, kind of. Mm, yeah, and don't forget Vina as well from the cage. Oh, but we like Vina. Well, <laughs> she's still a bit messed up. Um, yes. Thank yeah, you. Captain. I, I don't. I don't like Captain Bartel, but maybe just because she's. Uh, uh, taken Una away into custody. Yeah. Um, but I don't think she's a villain. She's just someone who really was following orders. But yeah. See, that is probably that relationship, I think, is a little bit more interesting. That his, because it's not his girlfriend. It is, quite frankly, just a fuck buddy. <laughs> and here's two captains of, hey, what sector are you in this week? Oh, let's hook up. I think that is quite. <laughs> Interesting behavior for two Starfleet captains. Starfleet Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, do we want to move on to assimilations and regenerations for this week? Yes. I really noticed, again, just how awesome Pike is with his officers. Uh, the camaraderie, and we know that he has breakfast together, and like when he's riding in the turbo lift with uh, Uhura, and you know, I'm gonna, what's the seventh rule of security? And he pins his lip, and he's just always joking at the appropriate mm-hmm. times, um, is being a commander, is being a captain at the appropriate times. Um, but knows when to turn it off and be social. Um, that is a wonderful quality um, that definitely shines through in this episode. It's a very difficult quality. I've, I've served in several senior leadership roles on the boards of director. And I have, well, you guys know me. I, I am who I am at work. And sometimes it's very difficult to be that kind of line of appropriate and comedy and that likability, yes. mm-hmm. it, it's hard. And I think, well, credit to the writers as well as Anson Mount that it's just almost perfect in that balance. Uh, I don't. Th- I think the the balance of it is so much better than Picard, Cisco, or even Janeway, who obviously did have all the downtime with the crew, but she always had that little bit of distance. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in there with him, it's like the gang of mates going together. I, I just think he's great. Even though this is probably one of the reasons why he has fast become so many people's captain of choice after one season. It's unbelievable the effects he's had. Yeah, great assimilation. Well, I want to assimilate the beautiful CGI they did on the planet and Enterprise itself. I'll say this every single time one of the Strange New Worlds uh, episodes come out. I just, I love what they've done. They've, their use of the AR wall um, is so much better than what they did in Discovery, in my opinion. Uh, they really, uh, I think, learned a lot of lessons through Discovery and wouldn't have had it without Discovery, but I think they took it to the next level with their use of it. And yeah, I, it's the only one of the new shows that I will not skip the opening credits. <laughs> I love it. All the little lights on the ship turning on, and then you see the warp nacelles going, and I'm like, I get all excited. Uh, and then listening to, you know, um, the intro, um, I just, yeah, it's all wonderful. <laughs> I don't skip any of the new Trek credits. I love all of them. I just think the music for Prodigy, Picard, mm. Stranger Worlds is, and, and Lower Decks is just 
I would almost keep it on and close my eyes. I'd rather like listen to the music, even though the visuals are so good too. But yeah, that's that's a, a great a great assimilation there, Mark. One I'm going to throw in there is obviously this was a very heavy episode with a very ethical quality. So you had to find that kind of balance. And we've just mentioned about kind of Pike's humor with the crew, but I loved the La'an and Uhura scenes that. We know uh, Chrissy Chong, who plays La'an, is really funny. And the way she has to play La'an all through the season as this very deadpan, blunt, uh, that, and almost the Britishness of her as well, it really comes across. <laughs> She's got that really sarcastic Brit quality to her tone. She delivers everything at on point in this episode to i especially when uhura uh walks out onto the bridge and she's like did you enjoy your break <laughs> i just yeah Laan was fabulous in this episode and i wanted to ask calvin because you are experts at holidays so i heard the festival of gratitude and i was like oh that's cool they're celebrating it but then i was like no these people aren't in starfleet they don't know bajoran festival of gratitude so i found it interesting because listeners if you remember when pike and alara alana alara we're walking, yeah, we're walking down the stairs and her attendant was listing off her, you know, items that she had to do, her calendar. And one of the things was speaking at the Festival of Gratitude. And I thought, well, isn't that nice that no matter what planet you go to, you really should have a Festival of Gratitude because you should be grateful but then we learned that they're being grateful because they're sacrificing a kid. I don't know. So it's it was interesting how that was played because mm. I first thought Bajoran, but then I was like, no, that's wrong. And then it's this horrible thing where they're sacrificing the first servant. That switch, that flip, I loved. Yeah. Um, the Bajoran Gratitude Festival is getting quite a lot of uh, outings this week because it was always it was in Picard as well. It, uh, oh, where yeah. uh, Rafi looked yeah. at the different. Tell me about all the ceremonies that are taking place when she was looking mm-hmm. for the Red Lady. So we had the Gratitude Festival there, and then uh, Miss Amy and myself will also be at the Bajoran Gratitude Festival on Star Trek cruise in a few days' time. Yes. So yeah, we're feeling very gracious <laughs> at the moment. Can I just add that that scene with the aide walking down the stairs, going through, I work in health and safety. You should not be doing that when walking down a set of stairs. You should be concentrating what you're doing. That has got slips, trips and falls written all over it. So be warned, listeners, don't be reading your iPads, looking at your phone or dealing with your 3D display units when you're walking down a set of stairs, especially when you've got the beautiful Anson Mount in front of you. We don't want to damage mm-hmm. his beautiful face. Truth. Well, I think we should pivot this into regeneration. Where are the railings on a planet where all the land masses are floating? Also, what's the point of Thank having you. your land masses floating? What is the actual point to it? I mean, I guess because they have acid lakes or something. I don't know. But I don't, both of those things bothered me. <laughs> they don't Mark, make any sense. I love you. You've gone into health and safety mode with me. <laughs> where are your fall arrest equipment? <laughs> That is absolutely true. And I'm like, yeah, they're running and there are no rails. I mean, 
There was a rail around a patch of flowers that Wesley broke into. I mean, there's rails everywhere. Come on now. It, Can it you imagine if you really, throw really a ball weird. for a dog on that planet and then it's just, oh shit, it bounced right? over there. Yeah. Maybe it's. Bye, Fido. Uh, it might be symbolic of, without going too deep here, prehistoric people used to think if you walked so far, you'd fall off the end of the earth. And we look back at that now as being not a very enlightened philosophy because obviously it's wrong. So these are people who literally would fall off the edge if they... So is it kind of insinuating that these people are not as sophisticated or enlightened uh, because of what they're doing to these children that it's like they have the flat earth syndrome? Well, maybe they are so civilized and advanced with their technology because it's survival of the fittest. You're dumb enough to go off the edge? Guess Oop. who's left? All the smart ones. They've been raised up. We're suffering. Can't reach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Any other regenerations? Well, I gave mine earlier about how condescending I felt they were with their medical technology and like, ooh, you're only to this stage? Yeah. We can, you know, we have no disease. Well, I had another one with the unnecessary spinning of the camera when they get on the crash shuttle. It's one of my big sticking points with Discovery. Every season they try to throw in a bunch of like, let's spin the camera around because everybody loves that. No, nobody loves it. Stop doing it. It makes all of us want to throw up. They were on the shuttle. The shuttle's crashed. The shuttle's not upside down. The shuttle's not moving. The shuttle is crashed. Okay, so why have the camera sort of upside down and then spin as they're coming through the door? It made no sense to me. I don't know. Nitpick, but it just I don't enjoy the spinny cameras. I didn't even notice that, Mark. So, yeah, maybe you've got vertigo and you don't know it. <laughs> I got something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I didn't notice either, and I have been on record since day one of the spinning from Discovery. Oh, my gosh, that first season oh I Lord. was turned around it was ridiculous so i guess i'm getting accustomed no! to it no! <laughs> <laughs> nothing for you calvin you just loved it no regeneration no regeneration I, no, nothing specific i suppose i was um forgive me i breached the format and i turned amy's regeneration into a uh a, I've turned Amy's assimilation into a regeneration by the, what, not wanting the woman to fall down the stairs. So, yes, that was my regeneration. The lack of health and safety in this episode. Yes. Shocking, <laughs> shocking culture. Well, uh, we have a bunch of trivia for this episode, which I love. Uh, a lot of the new shows, uh, there isn't as much trivia because obviously they haven't been around for 20, 30 plus years. But uh, I was able to uh, dig from some other um, sources outside of Memory Alpha uh, to get some things. So, um, I don't know. Somebody want to kick it off? Yeah. I would like to, surprisingly, read the uh, TOS connection. <laughs> um, the Society of Majalis is similar in many ways to Ardana from the Cloudminders TOS episode. In both cases, a utopian floating city above an inhospitable planetary surface is maintained through practices that cause immense suffering for others. And Cloudminders was actually one of the first TOS episodes 
that I podcasted about way back in the day of Trek wow. FM. So interesting tie-in. Yeah, I've seen a lot of TOS lately. And uh, when this came up, I said, I, I don't know this episode. <laughs> so maybe it's a season three episode. Uh, I primarily will watch seasons one and two uh, because season three went, went downhill pretty pretty fast. But I, uh, I need to watch this one. I'm interested to see what they did with it. We were mentioning earlier about uh, the fantastic performance by the uh, the young guy who played the first servant. He was called Yin Ho, uh, and he's now 12 years old. And as well as being in Strange New Worlds, he's also appeared in A Simple Favor, The Handmaid's Tale, and The Expanse. So he's had quite a few good credits to his name. I've not heard of uh, A Simple Favor. I know The Handmaid's Tale and The Expanse are both massive shows. Yeah, I remember him in The Expanse, but Handmaid's Tale. I'm going to have to look that up. On I put A Handmaid. Simple Favor on there because it was uh, his first credit. It was also um, Paul Figg. Uh, it was one of his projects, and um, you know he's pretty, pretty famous. Uh, so I thought I'd include that. But if you look at his IMDb page, it just keeps going and going. Uh, I picked out the things that maybe the Trek fans would recognize, but um, his credits, I mean, he's still doing stuff. A lot of voice work. He's done a lot of voice work for cartoons and stuff, but he's had quite a career already at the age of 12. So, yeah, I think it's going to just keep on going. He's really good. I actually went to Google to look this up, and I didn't search very well and apparently you did mark so because i was wondering like where is this being shot because they had those maze mm -hmm. garden the garden maze and they're you know it was beautiful location i was like where was that filmed well the filming location for those scenes of majalis are the parkwood estate in ontario canada cool um, there's been some uh, research here and some looking at uh, some maybe inspirations for this story and the details of the first servant and the connection to Magellan Prosperity closely resembles The One Who Walks Away from Amelus, which is a 1973 short story by Ursula K. Le Guin and the citizens of Prospect Seven in the role of the titular Ones Who Walked Away. Clearly this uh, this concept of exploitation mm. of the individual to serve the whole is well-trodden ground though. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. There's a discovery connection there too because executive producers and showrunners uh, Michelle Paradise and Alex Kurtzman cited uh, Legin's short story as an inspiration for the plot line of the third season of Star Trek Discovery, with Kurtzman noting that both creators were interested in the central dilemma being solely caused by a child. Is that why we have what's his name causing the burn? Yes. Well, I like Strange New World's treatment of the short story over what they did in Discovery. Me too. It went on for one episode instead of ten. Thank you. On the satirical website Cracked, J.M. McNabb pointed out the long history of Legin's influence on the Star Trek franchise and that while the writers of Star Trek Discovery did name a ship after her, the honor is still not as good as actually being credited uh, for, you know, helping to create the episode, which, yeah, it's true. True story. Hmm. 
So, uh, Drew Koenig of Telltale TV gave this episode a 4.5 out of 5 rating and said, Star Trek on its best days has served as a mirror to our modern society and shown us the ways in which we may have a long way to go. Uh, this episode continues in that grand tradition in a way that might be too, uh, might have hit too close to home for some people. So, yeah, it's, uh, very Roddenberry in its message mm. of, you know, talking about a subject without directly referencing the subject and building a story around it to mirror. So, yeah, Star Trek is its best, you might say. Well, final thoughts? Yes. This episode, going in not knowing what in the <laughs> heck I was watching, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this episode, okay. I couldn't watch this without thinking of the end story of what happens to Mbenka's mm. daughter um, and how she is freed. So the suffering of the daughter wasn't as heavy as it was in the first watch, but the dilemma that they have of, you know, and we had a great discussion on keeping her in a pattern buffer, like what is that quality of life? I just... Again, not having children, that just seemed so selfish of him um, to do that. And if we don't have the technology, I, oh, I don't know. I That, to me, that's the medical dilemma that I'm struggling with first. Like, offering the child, that's obviously wrong. Um, but storing her in the pattern buffer, and I think, again, you've made me think about some things that I hadn't before. So great episode, great um, medical ethic. Yeah, the medical ethics aspect does make you think, what would you do? You know, have you seen situations where you haven't called out unethical behaviours, whether it's medical ethics or just ethics in general? Um, so I think in that aspect, it's a great episode. It's very Star Trek. It's very Roddenberry it makes you question things. I still stand by my opinion that this is my least favourite episode of season one, but not because it's a bad episode. It's just because all of season one is so good mm -hmm. and someone's got to be bottom of the pile. It just so happens for me that's this episode. I, I didn't find the pacing as quick and as you know sparky as, as the rest of them. So um, I, I'm glad I had a, a reason to do a rewatch uh, because I have been known to skip this recently in Strange New World rewatches. So, yeah, the, looking at it specifically from the medical ethics aspect of the A plot and B plot um, was a great opportunity for me to see if I reevaluate this episode in any way. No, I, I agree with you, Calvin. Um... The first season of Strange New World is some of the best Trek, some of the best Trek, just period. I just love it. Uh, and so there does have to be something at the bottom. I mean, you know, we can't, not every single one can be a 10. Uh, and it isn't supposed to be, you know, there's different flavors. Uh, so this one just, for me, never really landed as one that I loved either. But as a whole, any opportunity to watch Strange New Worlds, I am game for. And uh, I'm looking forward to... Um, continuing to discuss them here and there where I can pigeonhole them into our discussions. Uh, I thought this would be a great opportunity with medical ethics because this fits in perfectly. Uh, so we can discuss this. 
But yeah, I'll keep keep looking for ways to insert some Strange New Worlds before season two um, launches. <laughs> well, next week, you, Mark, <laughs> since Calvin Christos and I will be on the cruise, um, we'll have a special guest host. I'm very excited. Captain Jeremiah Brown coming on. And you guys will be covering uh, Fear Factor, a Voyager episode, The Thaw. Ooh, I can't wait to Oh, listen. my goodness. This is a great episode. Kelvin, do you want to talk about this episode a little bit? <laughs> Reminder, listeners. Yeah, I, I will. This is a late season two episode uh, where we have, again, we have stasis in this episode. Oh. Because what, a, what a fabulous segue from medical ethics. <laughs> So we have a society who are all in stasis uh, that Voyager stumbles across, and uh, it turns out they're all being prevented from coming back around because their artificial environment has created a very nasty character of fear itself, who is a clown. So it, it really plays upon that kind of creepiness of a clown. And it's actually, it is a very, very creepy episode. Uh, and then you end up with Harry Kim and Balana going into that environment to see what's going on, and they get trapped in there too. So it's all down to Captain Janeway to see if she can beat fear itself. Uh, and it's a very great guest star in the episode as well, I, I, whose name I suddenly now cannot remember. But he's been in a load of great things before, so he does a fantastic job playing uh, the clown uh, fear. When I see the fear clown... To me, it reminds me of the uh, the DS9 Alamoraine episode, but much, much darker. <laughs> I, don't think she, I don't think that little girl doing hopscotch was caught beheading people in a guillotine. <laughs> <laughs> no, true. Yeah, enjoy your rewatch of that one, Mark. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, my God, what have I picked? Oh, anyway... <laughs> Well, uh, we're looking forward to having Captain Jeremiah on uh, next week. And uh, if you want to uh, listen to one of his previous uh, appearances on the network, he was on to talk about STLV. He was on our STLV recap, and he had some great insight there. So feel free to re-listen to that before next week. But yeah, in the meantime, we would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you will join our Facebook group, The BQN Collective. To continue our discussion there, you can tweet your thoughts at allgoodpod. Please follow the network on Twitter and Instagram at BQN Podcasts. We've also partnered with our friends at the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching their master feed. So, Amy, where can people find you? This is awful. Where can people find you when you are not uh, grooming uh, the youth to uh, be enslaved and, uh, you know, hold up the society above the wasteland of a planet. <laughs> well, when I am not doing that 100% of the time, uh, you can find me here on the network where I'm talking a lot of Trek on Galaxy Class and Union Federation. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place right there, BQN Collective, our Facebook group. And Calvin, where can people find you when you are not walking downstairs on your iPad distracted? Never. Um, you can find me on Facebook in the BQN Collective, um, but also on Instagram and Twitter at 
Kelvin's timeline. And Mark, where can you be found when you're not hiding children in a transporter buffer? Children and and lovable pets. Uh, and only until we find a cure. That's it. Uh, well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on the BQN Collective Facebook page. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at markwhite207. And if you become a patron of the network on Patreon, you can listen to my show. It's green. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. This way, you won't miss any of our other fine shows like Union Federation, Galaxy Class, History with the Zalagis, Infinite Diversity, Mickey's Marvels, Sasquatch, What's the T-Bev, and the world-famous Trexperts Quiz. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music, and to our dear Mark for our artwork each and every week, which I hope, listeners, you have seen. It's amazing. The kid, the first servant, and the wires and the connections, please check it out. It's great. If you'd like to help keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We'll add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy Hit Screen, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things.